0: Hello and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at hlivinglocal and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. I do hope that you've enjoyed your past week of uh, hopefully nice celebrations with a very limited crowd, hopefully in very safe confines and with some family if you were able to uh, see them safely without uh, incurring any risk of COVID and all that. And if you were not able to, I hope that you enjoyed your time at home and got a little bit of R&R in between. I know that a lot of us have very busy daily lives, and it can sometimes be difficult to find times just to take to yourself. So hopefully this past couple of days has given you that break, and uh, whatever this week holds, hopefully you guys are back on track. And as always, staying safe, healthy, and all that great stuff. On tonight's episode, we are going to be talking a little bit about some updates throughout the NHL, and we're going to talk a little bit about how the Winnipeg Jets are doing at the World Juniors. We will be temporarily tabling our Most Creative Playmaker series just for this episode, and I'll talk a little bit later about when we might resume that over the next couple of weeks. But for now, let's dive into some updates around the league and talk about some different signings and things that maybe have an impact on Winnipeg and beyond. The first notable signing is that Mike Hoffman is finally on a contract, but not one you'd expect. He has signed a professional tryout agreement with the St. Louis Blues. Now, our fellow co-host with the Locked on Bruins show, Ian McLaren, has indicated that as... We mentioned a few weeks ago Alexander Steen is retiring at the end of the season, I guess. Actually, it turns out the money is not quite off the books yet, and so what has to happen is the season actually has to reach the beginning point for 2021, and then Steen's money comes off the books. So what they're basically doing is just giving the PTO to Hoffman to allow him to start training with the team and getting some workouts in between before they actually sign a full contract once the cap space opens up. This should be pretty beneficial to both parties, at least from like an on-ice contractual uh, standpoint. Where I kind of have um, some concerns is the fact that Hoffman is again signing for another squad, and I really wonder if people have already forgotten some of the locker room stuff that happened just a couple of years ago. That whole situation that played out in Ottawa for me really turned off the idea of even talking to Hoffman or even wanting to consider any sort of contract or association with him. The fact that his own public statements on the matter have been extremely limited really concerns me because it feels like everyone just sort of let this go and that was the end of that. And Hoffman got moved. He's uh, played for the Panthers. He's um he's not going to be playing for the Blues. And so I just sort of wonder, is Hoffman really worth signing to a deal? If he's still carrying all of this baggage around with him, what does that mean for the long-term situation? Is this a guy that you can comfortably give a contract to without any sort of ramifications? My thought process is probably not. You know, a lot of locker room stuff around guys can often be a bit overstated because, look, people are trying to sell tabloids. They want to generate hits, likes, whatever. But I think in a situation where you're talking about Mike Hoffman, there is legitimacy to whether or not this guy is actually a serious problem. Even if Hoffman himself is fine, which I can't say either way, I have no idea what he's like behind the curtain, but obviously the situation in Ottawa was pretty dire. Even if he was not directly responsible for anything that happened, he was a part of it in some capacity because it's somebody that he's he's personally connected to and that, you know, essentially he allowed to happen under his sort of purview. Relationships and things are often very complicated, but for me, this seems like a serious issue that, if Hoffman knew about it and he didn't do anything, would cast him in a fairly unflattering light. Either way, it seems like the Blues are willing to take the risk, and obviously, if Hoffman does actually pan out and they can get him on a reasonable contract, he would be an interesting middle six scorer. I don't think that he's really more than that, because at this stage of his career, he's just... He's not that good. He can certainly skate and shoot the puck well, but I think beyond that, his play-driving ability and, uh well, really the high-end finishing talent that he used to display is definitely not there anymore. I would not want to be paying this guy Alexander Steen money, especially for any sort of term. I think it has to be a pretty cheap deal and something that, you know, the Blues would, would be willing to kind of work with and take the gamble on for maybe like a season or two. As far as the Jets not signing him, totally cool with that being skipped over. I think that that would have been a very serious problem and, and something that... I would not be comfortable seeing Winnipeg doing. I think the Jets have smartly sat on the sidelines. Obviously, you know, signing Nate Thompson for me probably wasn't the uh, the sort of off-season move that I'm really looking for, but as far as bringing in guys who are good for the locker room and who are at least are positive characters, Thompson sounds like a great guy. I really don't have any sort of questions or qualms about them bringing in somebody in that sort of leadership capacity. Where Thompson will start to struggle is certainly in an all nice role, and, and uh, especially if he starts playing like fourth-line minutes and eventually captains the PK or something. I think that that would be, for me, a less-than-ideal situation. I don't mind him being a leader in the locker room, but certainly... Anything more than, like, a couple of spot appearances or maybe, like, as an injury substitution, something along those lines, I wouldn't be thrilled with. I think Winnipeg did well not to to look at a guy like Mike Hoffman. If they were thinking about him, hopefully the decision was pretty quick because... I think you just have to be really careful when it comes to people who are extremely toxic or have people around them who are toxic, and they bring that into a room that's pretty tight-knit. The whole Hoffman situation around the league was pretty, pretty widely lambasted, which was pretty fair because the Carlsons are extremely beloved, and what was said behind their backs or what was done to them was frankly disgusting, and I think a lot of people would agree that what, you know, happened with the Hoffmans just was completely unacceptable. And so, I'm very happy that the Jets kind of sat on the sidelines. Clearly a little more aggression in seeking out some more veteran and skilled uh, either depth players or defenders wouldn't be a bad idea, but when it comes to signing scoring forwards and stuff, just don't look for guys with baggage. I think that that's one of the biggest things. For the most part, it sounds like Winnipeg, has generally avoided bringing in players with character issues. You know, it, it doesn't seem like they have too, too many things going on. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's worse than I realize. Obviously, pro athletes can be a bit of a, a rough crew. But for the time being, we can at least be uh, comforted that Mike Hoffman isn't on that list. We still haven't really heard them say anything about um, Craig Heisinger or his role in that whole situation with the hazing thing um, within the Canadian Hockey League. But I doubt we'll be hearing anything anytime soon until a more thorough investigation is conducted. But on a related note back to uh, speaking about Mike Hoffman and Eric Carlson, we do have some updates from the Ottawa Senators who will be facing the Winnipeg Jets multiple times throughout this upcoming season. And some of these updates are actually going to be fairly relevant for what this team might look like when they face the Jets. Before then, though, I wanted to tell you a little bit about the fine folks at betonline.ag. We're all heading into the NHL season with quite a few expectations, and maybe some of you think you might know who's going to win the Stanley Cup. Maybe you think it's the New Jersey Devils who currently have the longest odds when you head on over to BetOnline.ag. Maybe you think Winnipeg can emerge victorious out of the Canadian division and win it all. If you're looking for a place to put your money where your mouth is that's safe, trusted, and reliable, look no further than BetOnline.ag. They're the best site around, whether you're looking to bet on the next Stanley Cup champ or make a wager on the upcoming NFL Week 17 matchups and even some college football bowl games. Getting started with BetOnline couldn't be easier. Just head on over to BetOnline.ag, and when you sign up and register register with a free account and use promo code LOCKEDON, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus. Stop sitting on the sidelines and missing out on all the action for your favorite sports and sports teams. Get in on the fun and head on over to betonline.ag where you can set up a free account. And when you do, don't forget to use promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your favorite online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to this episode of the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are currently detailing some of the updates around the league, and there's been quite a few developments over the past couple of days where some teams have gotten better, some have maybe sort of improved, I guess, I don't really know. One of those teams that's a little bit hard to figure out is the Ottawa Senators. They've made a few transactions that are quite frankly a little bit puzzling. Uh, At least one of them makes a good deal of sense, but the other one I didn't really understand. One of the first important ones, though, is a fairly bog-standard signing, and that is getting Tim Stutzla uh, under a three-year entry-level contract. Not super shocking. Obviously, you would award a nice entry-level contract to your top prospect and hopefully start getting him some pro ice time somewhere. He's been playing in the DEL, but I think most people would uh, would agree that certainly compared to like higher-end leagues like Liga or even um, Osvenskan or the, the upper Swedish tier of hockey, the DEL is just a little bit limited. So it's time to get Stutzla some higher-end competition. He's already been putting on a pretty nice show for Germany, even though the World Juniors have been a little bit of a rough ride for him. It's not so much that he's struggling as it is his team having like a, th- you know, a third of the squad missing because of COVID. They're down, they're starting goalie, they're missing a number of forwards, Lucas Reichel is out, it's been a really rough experience for these kids, and they faced a back-to-back against Finland and Canada heading into this tournament. Not exactly a great way for Stutzla to, to receive an introduction to North American ice, but obviously this kid still puts on a great show, he has a lot of fighting spirit, he's been very physical, throwing himself into nice checks, he's been creating good opportunities, trying to get to the net when he can. It's been very difficult because his lines have been hemmed in and getting hammered, but... He's consistently been one of Germany's more dangerous skaters, and I think that that says a lot about his character and hopefully the sorts of skill that he'll have once he actually reaches the NHL. So for the Suns, I think they're going to be very happy with him. He's a great player and somebody who projects as a top-end, high-line scoring forward. I think he's going to be a great attacker and somebody who I'm very excited to see eventually. You know, Germany doesn't have too, too many uh, high-end ice hockey players. Over the past couple of years, though, they've started churning out more and more talents, and hopefully this just continues the trend. The Suns weren't quite done, though, and they had a couple of other transactions that were um, a little bit strange. The first is that Ottawa has traded uh, for Derek Stepan, and in exchange, they're sending a 2021 second-round pick from originally from the Columbus Blue Jackets down to Arizona. As far as like a a roster move is concerned, I don't really understand why Ottawa would be paying a second rounder for Stepan. Obviously, the team is trying to make the cap floor, but that's not really an issue anymore. And I think most teams are are actually looking to shed salary and cap hits. I think that this is, in a lot of ways, kind of an overpayment. You know, if you're offloading an expiring contract and one with a decent sized cap hit, I do think that. In many ways, teams like Ottawa should be being paid for this instead. The one thing that I think Ottawa particularly likes about Stepan is that he's mostly getting paid in signing bonus money. This season, his contract is paying around $2 million in actual salary, which for the sentence is obviously a very big deal. This squad likes to save a lot of uh, real money in terms of salary wages, so I can understand why they would try and make this move. I just don't know why they would pay a second rounder for it. Stepan at this stage of his career is most likely a a middle six center. I think on the Sens, though, he'll probably anchor anywhere in the top six because, let's be honest, they don't really have too many high-end offensive centers. And Stepan's definitely not that. But he is probably like a capable middle six center. I don't really know that you want to be asking him to do a lot. I think at this stage, he's probably uh, really suited for third line duty. It's just with the way that Ottawa currently is, I'd imagine him getting more top six time because they don't really have many other options. Ottawa's depth is pretty thin. They let Anthony Duclair go. And so what you're looking at is is mostly a guy who I think at this stage of his career is, is nearing retirement more than he is going to be a really high-end active contributor. I don't think that he's done necessarily. I just don't think that Stepan... Uh, is a particularly big difference maker and certainly not somebody that I expect to really have a particularly strong showing with Ottawa. Maybe they try and flip him at the the trade deadline for some kind of a draft compensation. I don't really think that he'll be worth much because it's not like he's scoring that many points either. But, you know, maybe something weird happens. Maybe rentals get overpriced. Who knows what's going to happen because this is a weird season. And frankly, no one knows exactly what, uh, what the 56-game schedule is going to look like or what's going to happen with how it ends up playing out, I suppose. We may know the schedule itself, but we certainly don't know how everyone's going to approach it and what's going to be the best strategy for making the most of a, a pretty small season. The second trade is a lot more interesting and one that actually makes quite a bit of sense. Ottawa's picking up Braden Coburn, Cedric Paquette, and a second-round draft pick from 2022 in exchange for Gaberic and Nilsson. Which uh, Gabrick and Nilsson, I think, are th- at this point pretty much dead cap hits, heading over to the uh, to the Tampa Bay Lightning. But because they are on LTIR, I think it actually gives Tampa Bay quite a bit of uh, cap relief in terms of actual cap hits. And this is kind of a serious thing for them because they're they're currently trying to juggle how to deal with um, additional signings and things. They've gotten Sorelli under contract. Uh, Eric Sernack has resigned. But these LTIR deals coming on, um, while sending out guys like Coburn and Paquette, gets them. Technically under the cap. I don't know if that actually is going to work because I think the league might have to look at whether or not they're exploiting a loophole illegally. I don't really know how that all is going to work. Supposedly somebody was saying maybe there's some kind of a fine. I can't say, um, you know, cap hits and and certainly uh, finance laws as far as the NHL is concerned are, are my forte, but we'll see what plays out. I think Tampa Bay has done a very good job of doing their homework and research on what exactly they're allowed to get away with, and maybe they have some kind of a strategy for dealing with either some kind of a fine or a draft pick, deduction, who knows what's going to happen. That is, if any of it is legal. For the sentence, I think that they get some, uh, I guess, serviceable NHLers. I think Coburn and Paquette will be at least breathing bodies for a team that doesn't really have many to begin with. I don't think that either of them moves the needle. We all know that Coburn's probably like a third-pairing defender, and Paquette's basically a fourth liner, so yeah, not a whole lot there. I think that they provide some NHL value. Certainly, you know, Gabarik and Nilsson weren't really doing anything, but you get some guys who are actual NHLers in exchange for them. And hey, add a 2022 second rounder, so things, I guess, could technically be worse. The Sands have uh, technically improved, which, you know, probably isn't the kind of news that Jets fans are hoping for because we're going to be playing Ottawa quite a few times this season, but I think we can say that the improvement is pretty marginal. Speaking of things that Jets fans want to hear about, though, up next we're going to be taking a look at the World Juniors and seeing how some of Winnipeg's young prospects are currently faring with their respective national teams. Before then, though, I thought you should hear about built Bar. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, by now you know that I really enjoy built Bars. If you've never had one, built Bars are protein bars that are more like candy bars with a dark chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. They're delicious, great tasting, and good for you. And of their 12 original flavors, I highly recommend giving raspberry and mint brownie a look. But if you end up realizing that you can't really make a decision on one or the other, or you just want to try a whole sampling, be sure to check out their variety box. Like any great company though, Built isn't content to rest on its laurels, and is back, and better than ever, with a brand new lineup including 6 new flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. If those sound delicious, you'll be glad to know that they're even better for you, with most Bilt Bars clocking in at 200 calories or less, between 15 and 19 grams of protein, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. Bilt Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, so they're great for keto diets as well as weight loss and weight maintenance programs. To place your order, go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, when you're checking out, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BiltBar.com. Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. I wanted to give you a quick heads up that before we talk about our World Juniors coverage, we are going to be continuing our most creative playmaker series, most likely towards the end of next week. I'm not really sure exactly what this week's schedule is going to look like. It'll depend on how the tournament pans out. Some of these games haven't really been worth talking about because, for the most part, they are pretty big blowouts. We will start to also talk about some stuff heading into this upcoming 2021 season, like exactly what the start date is. It is still tentatively January 13th, but we're not really sure if that's going to happen yet. Once we have a few more confirmed details, I'll be sure to let you know and talk about the implications for the Jets. But for now, let's talk about some of the World Junior prospects and how Winnipeg is faring. I think the two main names that most people are wondering about from Team Finland are Henri Nikkinen and Vili Heinola. These two have been among Finland's top performers. There are some pretty okay forwards playing for the Finnish squad, but I think Nikkinen has been on the ice for most of Finland's goals, and I really like the way that he's been involved. He's had a couple of points, including a goal, and I like the way that he positions himself in front of the net, and he's often a real pest. He's somebody who seems to thrive off of a lot of net front chaos, because he's got enough skill to find really good shooting and passing lanes, but he's also not afraid to go on the four check and be a little bit more physically aggressive and assertive. He's a big kid, and he's not somebody who's, like, overly physical, but he just seems to understand how to use his frame to either set up goal screens, um, look for juicy rebounds, maybe cause some net front havoc with a really nice cross-crease pass. Again, I don't think that Nikanen is the kind of person who, like, really projects to be, like, a top-six center type, but as somebody on, like, a third line that can be a little bit grindy, uh, bring a bit of a spark, but also have enough skill to be a creative playmaker, I think Nikanen fits those roles perfectly. He's kind of in that like Andrew Kopp or Adam Lowry tier of player, but I think his offensive skill sets are are a little bit more refined and a bit higher ceiling, relatively speaking, but perhaps he sacrifices some defense for those sorts of uh, offensive puck smarts. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You don't really see him tracking back aggressively or, or man-marking a lot, and he's not, again, not physically um, inclined when it comes to matching up against opposing skaters, but because he's so smart about the way he positions himself in and around the net and kind of seems to be pretty hard working when it comes to um, offensive cycles and stuff, I can't really have too many complaints. Vili Heinola, on the other hand, is somebody who's extremely active, and I think he's going to be an absolute superstar for the Jets. His puck handling, his edge work, his confidence in in possession and creating offensive opportunities, um, his passing and distribution. This dude's just so smart about opening up space in and around the offensive zone And he's actually not afraid to put himself in harm's way to try and shut down shooting lanes, cut off passing lanes, and deal with a lot of odd man situations. I'll be honest, Finland has put Heinola under some serious pressure because oftentimes they're allowing a lot of odd man situations the other way and his defensive partners aren't exactly super well refined. You know, Heinola is somebody who's had to work very hard to try and cover for a lot of his team's defensive deficiencies, but this kid just always seems very calm under pressure and for the most part he seems to understand what he needs to do to do, even if not yet able to do all of it. Heinola's work in the offensive zone, though, has been nothing short of outstanding, and he almost had a really nice assist on what should have been a tap-in goal, except I think it was Roni Hirvonen just sort of shanked it wide. I think he's had at least a couple of assists already, and, and obviously this is going to be a big tournament for him, but we know that Heinola is probably ready for pro duty at a, a higher level than what he's playing right now. He's been playing in Liga for a couple of seasons, he may or may not stay over in Finland this year. I think he's ready for NHL duty already, but we'll see if the Jets agree. He's already had a few NHL games, and he's been pretty good for all of them. So hopefully he can, you know, make the jump this season and be an impact player on this blue line. The one guy I haven't yet covered from Team Canada is Cole Perfetti, and Perfetti is kind of having an interesting tournament. Against Team Russia, I felt like he was one of the smartest and best attackers, even though it was just an exhibition game. I felt like his counters, his setups, and his passing and vision were excellent, and he was able to lead a couple of really nice controlled zone entries. His game against Team Germany was a lot quieter, and it's kind of funny because everyone on that team basically recorded a point, especially from the forward units, but let's be honest, it was probably hard to be a little bit engaged against a team that, frankly, just could not keep up. Even still, I think Perfetti had a hat-trick of assists on the night, and it just sort of happened. I don't think he was particularly involved in the build-up, but by virtue of the German goaltending being as poor as it was, and basically all of the Canadian forwards getting a touch on the puck at some point before a goal was scored, I think it's fair to say that Perfetti was just kind of the beneficiary of getting some nice passes and uh, just generally being involved in the play, even if I wouldn't say he was particularly engaged or looked very energetic. I think that this was, from him, a fairly quiet performance, and again, even though he did have a casual three points on a night when you score like 16 or 17 goals, as a team, it's just not that impressive. So, hopefully we'll see him kind of come to life in the next couple of games. I think he'll have a real challenge on his hands in the coming games, and... With Kirby Dock out, hopefully Perfetti seizes in an elevated role and and continues to run with it because he has the highest ceiling of most of the guys on this team, and I expect him to be a really special prospect before he starts to make a a run with the Jets. Throughout the coming days, I will continue to talk about how Winnipeg's prospects are doing. Don't read too much into World Junior performances. They don't really mean a whole lot, but they do give you some insight into how some of these guys might play and what roles they might suit when they start to enter pro-level duty. For now, though, that is going to wrap up tonight's episode. Before you log off for the evening, I did want to let you know about Locked On Bets. The holidays are about giving, so I'm giving you a hot tip that could earn you some extra cash. The new Locked On Bets podcast is hosted by Lee Sterling of ParamountSports.com. Lee is red hot to start the season, and he shares a lock of the day on every single episode. Subscribe to Locked On Bets today, wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure you're in the know on the best betting lines in the biz. Thank you so much for listening, have a great night, and as always, Go Jets Go!